If you'd open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. While you're turning there, uh, when we had the kids at D3 camp, uh, one of the speakers was telling us how he came to know Christ. Uh, and while he was in high school, um, one of the campus security police officers that serves there uh, was the one that ended up leading him to the Lord, which I thought was really pretty cool. And then, as you think about VBS, which I, what I didn't know, was uh, Al Moeller. Many of you are familiar with him. He's the president of Southern Baptist Seminary and does the briefing uh, Monday through Friday uh, as a podcast. Um, he was saved at a VBS uh, when he was uh, a young man. So I just thought that was pretty cool uh, to hear that. So he said he was a real big fan of that. Uh, I think the VBS he got saved at, um, he said when he went to VBS, where he uh, grew up, there was nothing to do during the summer. And so he went to the VBS at his church the first week, and the second week went to another VBS at another church. But they were all Southern Baptist churches, so it's the same thing uh, they were doing. But nonetheless, they were doing it. And uh, even though he was raised in a Christian home, uh, which I think was a, a very good thing, he ended up uh, being confronted with it being, and being challenged with the gospel. And the Lord worked in his heart that time, and that's when he became a believer. Uh, so it was just uh, interesting to hear that perspective. Let's bow before the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come before you this morning, as always, Father, we are so grateful, Father, for your word. We're thankful, Lord, that you have, that you've seen fit to communicate to us, to reveal yourself to us, to give to us, Father, the information and the wisdom that we need, Father, to understand you, to understand ourselves, to understand salvation, to understand the world, to understand our culture. Uh, Father, we can never thank you enough for what you've given to us. As always, Father, we ask that you bless our time in your word. We desire, Father, for this time to be profitable for us, to be beneficial. And so, Father, we need your help in being able to focus in on your word and to think through it together as we desire, Father, to absorb the truth that is here. So, again, we thank you again for giving us your word. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 2, beginning in verse 13. These things we also speak... Not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal As to babes in Christ, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you are not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Paulos, are you not carnal? As we continue on working our way through 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul, again, has been emphasizing uh, the source of the message of the gospel of Christ, that it's a message from God, uh, and that explains the uh, transformation that they've experienced in their lives. Also, he's reminded them that he did not come and present himself as many of the traveling philosophers did by trying to impress them with his cleverness and with his intelligence uh, and with his ability to speak. And so as he continues on in talking about these things, verse 14, 
He says, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. He's beginning to explain to them here, wanting to understand how it was that they actually understood the gospel. That they understood the gospel because it was the work of God. And why those around them aren't understanding the gospel. Why the others are not turning to God. Because they're not grasping those things uh, that God has revealed. The contrast here, when he mentions the natural man, that phrase, uh, or that designation, the natural man, is simply, he's making a contrast between a man who is governed by the Holy Spirit and one in whom the Holy Spirit is absent. So he's not saying that the natural man is just a fleshly man, because in one sense they're all fleshly. What he's trying to emphasize here is the one who has the Holy Spirit or the divine spirit or the spirit of God and the one who doesn't. So speaking of this natural man uh, and contrasting it to the spiritual man, the idea is dealing with how we come to understand truth, our ability to think, our ability to understand. The organ of the brain that we use is not just about the brain, but it's about the assistance that we receive from the Holy Spirit. So man, therefore, uh, his ability to think and understand, uh, if he is depending upon only his natural insight, He's not going to get the things of God. He's not going to be able to grasp them. We use other phrases. We talk about an individual being blinded by their sin. We talk about an individual uh, being spiritually dead, and therefore they're not able to grasp the things of God. They're not able to really comprehend it. So it's not about their intelligence. It's not that they're stupid. It's not that they, they can't understand the words that are in the Word of God. But they're not grasping what's being communicated. They're not, they don't have the ability to to understand what is being given to us by God and what it's all about. So basically, the, the reason why you and I are able to understand the things of the Word of God is because of the Holy Spirit. It's not because we're smarter than other people. Yes, there are differences in our intelligence. Uh, there are those who do know more than others. There, are, there may be those who are able to think better than others. But when it comes to the Word of God... The main differences between us would be the one who has maybe spent more time studying than other, the one who's been the believer longer than the other. So it's not about, oh, they're just smarter than me, because again, we have that ability. Now, the ability that God, the Holy Spirit, gives to us is not that he's giving us the ability to have perfect interpretation, because you still have many learned men and women who understand the Bible, who have different understandings of certain passages of the Word of God. But the main point of the Spirit of God indwelling us and helping us with the Word of God is giving us the ability to understand how it applies to the way we live. It's, it's the imparting of wisdom. So when, when we're reading it, we're, we're grasping how it is that we should be different. We're understanding how it is that we should be thinking about things. That, that's really the idea that's behind all of that. So when it comes to the apprehension of spiritual truth, that's what should be characterizing the Christian. So Paul then basically is saying that um, Paul is characterizing the man who is not yet capable of understanding divine wisdom as being natural. He is one who possesses in his soul simply the organ of pure human cognition or reasoning, but he's not yet been given the ability to think religiously, and I mean truly religiously, or spiritually in the realm of God. So one of the marks then of maturity then is discernment, because that's what the Spirit of God is going to give us. As we come to understand the Word of God, 
Obviously, as we study, we're going to be able to interpret it better. But again, grasping what it means in day-to-day living, what it means in the way that we interact with people, what it means in the kinds of attitudes that we are to have with uh, individuals and how we are to respond to various situations. One of the marks of maturity is discernment. That is the ability to penetrate beneath the surface of life and see things as they really are. In other words, uh, I guess if you want to look at it in a different way, we have the ability to practice true psychology. Some of you are surprised by that because you know how much I hate psychology, but, but I don't really hate psychology. What I hate is humanistic psychology. I actually believe the Bible is the best book on psychology that is in print. I think it's phenomenal uh, when, it, when it comes to that. So you and I then have the ability to understand what is beneath the surface. So for an example, uh, when you're dealing with your own children, when your children are young and, and they're being rebellious or they're being disobedient, uh, you're, you're, uh, you're able to understand why they're acting that way. In other words, you can, you can go beyond just the surface things. In other words, you recognize more than that they're just acting selfishly. Because of the Word of God, you understand why they're acting that way. You understand that they have a sin nature. You understand that though you have a responsibility to discipline them and to train them and teach them, that it's not just about you as a parent trying to get them to behave. That's important. But we also understand that we want to still find ways to reach their heart. And that doesn't mean that we want them to feel more loving towards us. We want them to understand. We want them to understand why they are behaving that way. We want them to understand that when they act that way, they're not just disobeying mom and dad, but they really are disobeying God. We're not trying to use God as some kind of a a cosmic, you know, threat. Like, do you know when you do this, you are disobeying God? Okay, that's not, that's not the idea to make them fearful of God and to hate God, but to understand and develop a sensitive heart or spirit that, that there's more going on in their life than just the fact that you are upset with them and they're doing wrong. That there's a spiritual dimension to what's happening in their life. They're not going to grasp all of that when they're five years old, but that we need to begin when they're young in helping them to cultivate that understanding. They will grasp that as we teach them and as we live that out before them. And there's never a point in time where we should say, well, they're just too young to get that. No, they're not too young. We break it down for them, and then as they grow, we give them more and more information and help them to understand these things. So we then have that ability to discern what's going on. We have the ability to understand what's happening in the lives of friends of ours who may be having marital problems. It doesn't mean that you're going to understand all the ins and outs and nuances of what's taking place, but we understand human nature. We understand the foundational issues that are going on because God has explained to us what we are like as human beings. And of course, if your friends are having marital problems and they're unsaved, we do know, if the Bible is true, which I believe it is, that their basic foundational root problem is spiritual it it, all those other things that are going on are just symptoms and a result of this void in their life we also know that when it comes to believers if believers are going through a real rough time in their marriage what we do know is that it's not just about the circumstances of life it's about their relationship with the lord jesus christ that is not a narrow-minded or a simple-minded approach to life there's truth to that And we'll see some more of that as we move on uh, through this passage. 
So the unsaved individual walks by sight. They don't really see things as they really are. They're They're not really grasping things. They are spiritually blind, as we've already mentioned. The maturing Christian grows in his spiritual discernment and develops the ability, with the help of the Holy Spirit, to understand more and more of the will of God and of the mind of God. That's what happens as we grow in our understanding of the Word of God, is that is going to be taking place. So the Corinthians that Paul is writing to, with all the problems that they're having, they lack this discernment. They are spiritually ignorant, and that is why they're having the difficulties that they're having. When you read on in the passage, and he mentions there towards the end of chapter 2, that we have the mind of Christ, when he says that, he's not trying to say that they are somehow now infallible and they should start playing God in the lives of other people. In other words, when you are able to discern what's really going on in the life of another person, this is not because you now have some kind of God-like gift. No one instructs God, that's for sure. And we have the mind of Christ, meaning that we look at life from the viewpoint of Jesus, our Savior. We have his values, we have his desires in mind, and so we're not there to try to dictate to others uh, what we think they should or should not be doing, though we definitely should be able to give them wisdom and advice and try to help them, but we're not trying to play God in their life. We want to try to bring in wisdom and understanding. And so that's, that's, the, that's the idea that we have the mind of Christ, is we're able to think biblically. Uh, our attitudes or our starting point, our desires are all centered on the person of Christ and what he's given to us in the word of God. We need to understand the difference really between us and the world. It's, it's, it is very stark and it, it deals with more than just this idea that we believe in Jesus and they don't. It's not just that we believe heaven's real and, and they don't. It's not that we just believe that hell's a real place and people really go, go there and they don't. That's definitely a part of that, but it's more than that. How does the world think? Well, one of the ways the world thinks is that for an individual, their ultimate meaning in life is expressed this way, that we should be, or that one should be, true to themselves. That you should be true to yourself. That is repeated in novels, in movies, TV shows, there's commercials, all kinds of things. Of course, to be true to your own self comes from Shakespeare, not the Bible. It's in Hamlet. That does not meet a biblical worldview. We need to understand this, and this is important. As Christians, being true to ourselves is not an adequate guide for life. And too often as Christians, we repeat what the world says because it sounds good, or it may sound harmless, or it sounds positive. Now, we're not trying to be a cosmic killjoy, and that we're always finding fault with the world. But you do understand that as Christians, we're always going to find fault with the world. And so we have to ask God for wisdom on how we're going to communicate that because we can look like we're always being negative. But it is important for us at times to point out the truth. And it's definitely important for us to not repeat what the world says. Because when we repeat what the world says, the world has a right to do this. They then believe that we and our Christianity is no different than their philosophy. That we just have a kind of a religious form of be true to yourself. We don't believe that. It is not Christian. It is not biblical. We have to be true to what God has revealed. That's what Christians are. We want to be true to what God has revealed. We have to be true to what God has intended. We have to be true to a reality that is indicated, and, and this phrase is not 
um, original with me. It says we have to be true to a reality that is indicated by Eden. Basically what that means is that's our, remember, that's our meta-narrative. We've talked about that before. Our understanding of the world comes from the word of God. And we understand that when God created all things perfectly, something went wrong. What was that? Well, that's what Genesis chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6 help us to understand. We understand the world because of that. And we understand that because of the fall, if man is true to himself, that only leads to problems. Because what are we? If we are true to ourselves, we are godless pagans. So maybe you could do this with some of the people that you know. When they say, yep, you just need to be true to yourself. And you just say, yep, you're right. We need to be godless pagans every day. They go, well, I I didn't say that. Yeah, you you just did. That's what you said. Because that's what that means, to be true to ourselves. I don't want to be true to myself, not because I'm superior, but because I'm far inferior to everyone else. So I need to be true to another standard, to what God has given to me. That's, that's my guide. That's my direction. That's my foundation. It is also not the message which is oftentimes promoted uh, a lot, which is believe in yourself. It's a very positive message. Uh, just so you know, that the, you know, it's not just Christian churches that have ministry to children. There's all kinds of secular children's ministries and there's uh, some uh, I went to this one website and they have a song which I'm not going to sing uh, called believe in yourself and I'm going to read to you uh, this because this is the philosophy that they're teaching and this is what some people say well Bob it's just a song what harm it doesn't mean anything well we don't we don't believe that when we sing hymns would you be offended if someone came in and said oh, they're just singing a bunch of hymns it doesn't mean anything they're just songs uh, no, these are not, not, not just songs. This is how we communicate. Many foundational issues in life are communicated through songs and music. Music's important in the lives of people. So here's the words of the song, which is called, by the way, Believe in Yourself. Believe in yourself the way that I do, for believing will help make wishes come true. Believe in yourself and reach for the stars. Believe in yourself and you're bound to go far. Believe, believe, believe in yourself. Believe in yourself the way that I do. For believing will help make wishes come true. You do know that believing in yourself does not make wishes come true. Right? It is not a harmless song. It may be cute when you hear a five-year-old sing it, but that's, that's not what we want to be teaching them. But there's even another one. This is by NSYNC. And I was uh, this week practicing singing it in the dance moves. No, I wasn't doing that. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to do any of that, but I'm going to read to you the words of this song. And by the way, I guess it was so popular, they want to make sure this was sung on Sesame Street to reach as many children as possible. Uh, But this is the way that the song goes. Believe in yourself. I'm sorry, that's the other one. Oh, you can be what you want to be. See what you want to see. Believe in yourself. Just believe in yourself. You can go where you want to go. Do what you want to do. Believe in yourself. Just believe in yourself. Some folks try to tell you there are things you shouldn't do, but you're not strong enough or, strong or smart enough at all. But what seems right to them quite often might be wrong for you. So, so be sure you try to climb before you get uh, to scare, or get, before you get to scare or you'll fall. You can be what you want to be, learn what you want to learn, believe in yourself, just believe in yourself. You can try what you need to try. No one should question why. Believe in yourself, just believe in yourself. Just so you know, there are many serial killers that can sing this. Isn't that the philosophy they follow? I want to be what I want to be. I want to try what I want to try. And no one should question why. 
Now people say, oh, you're just taking that to an extreme. Actually, I'm not. This is the philosophy of the world. It's what they're teaching. And so, again, too often as believers, this is what we end up saying to people. We want to encourage someone. And so we might end up in a moment of weakness or maybe absolute stupidity because you just bumped your head. You reach down to some little kid and say, just believe in yourself. Don't say that to them. And so if you're a big fan of Disney movies, which is fine, and you want your kids or grandkids to watch Disney movies, that's fine. you just you got to have theological talks after those movies. Because a lot of times they're about believing in yourself. We don't believe in ourselves. There's a, one of the speakers that, uh, at the D3 camp was talking about the fact that his, his daughter, was, who's I guess five or six or seven, was watching some Disney movie downstairs. He was upstairs doing something, and all of a sudden while she's watching the movie, he hears the pitter-patter of her feet coming up the stairs, and she says, Daddy, I have a question. He said, what is that? She says, we're not supposed to believe in ourselves, are we? And he said, no, why are you asking me that? Because that was the song that was being sung on the Disney movie. And he said at that moment he wanted to take his daughter, hug her, and take her out for ice cream. Because she was thinking. I think he should have done it. But anyway, uh, the point is, is that we have to make sure that we are discerning as Christians. You and I, you cannot let your guard down. You can't. Now, the thing is this, is that if you're trying to always keep your guard up in the flesh, that's exhausting. You're not going to be able to do it. So the easy way to do that is to allow your mind to be transformed by the Word of God. And as your mind is transformed, you begin to think these things naturally. They're not natural now, but they become natural as we do them. It's kind of like when an individual is practicing some kind of, of, of sport or athletic. And the more you do things, repetition pretty soon it becomes second nature. And so then it becomes less exhausting for you because you don't have to using up you know, all of your energy to, be, to think all the time, be on your guard. This becomes a, a, the way of living, a natural thing for you to do. So again, the unsaved person does not understand the Christian. They don't understand why we have problems with these things. We live in two different worlds. But the Christian, even though the non-believer can't understand us, we can understand them. So 1 Corinthians 2 here is not suggesting that unsaved people cannot point out the flaws in the life of the believer. In fact, they often do. But what it's saying is the unsaved man really cannot penetrate into the full understanding of what the Christian's life is all about. They're just never going to get it. Now, in the immediate context of chapter 3, as Paul moves on, because I don't think that he's not really changed subjects yet, the, the allegiance that they've been showing towards various spiritual leaders once again reveals a lack of maturity, a lack of growth. Remember, he said that this message they received is, from, is, is the power of God, it's the message of God, it's been delivered to them. They possess the Holy Spirit. That gives them this ability to understand, uh, you know, it's a part of their maturing process. Yet, what he's telling them is that they're not maturing. Why is that taking place? If, if they have this message that they've received and believed, and they have the Holy Spirit, what's going on? Why, why, what, what's the problem here? Why are they not able to mature or to move beyond certain things? Well, keep this in mind. A lack of growth produces sinful attitudes and behaviors in the life of a believer. Okay, we never stay stagnant. So if we're not growing as believers, that's going to produce sinful attitudes. It might be an attitude that you used to have a problem with that went away and now it's back. You know, you're back being cynical or you're back being mean-spirited or whatever it may happen to be. Or you're back where you just treat people like garbage or, or, uh, or what, based on whatever mood you're in. And that's, that's come back. Why? That's because you've stopped growing. 
And so you, you are now engaging in sinful behaviors. Our sin hinders our growth in Christ, and our lack of growth leads to sin. Both those things are true. That's why, again, we know that it's a, it's a foundational truth, that when we struggle with sin, that it is a spiritual issue. It may not only be a spiritual issue, it is primarily a spiritual issue because you and I both know that when we meet an individual who's truly growing on a regular basis in the grace and truth of Jesus Christ, that individual, I've not met them yet, is not steeped in habitual sin. They still sin, but they're not steeped in habitual sin. That person doesn't exist. And what you'll find, the individual who claims to be a believer who is steeped in spiritual, who is steeped in habitual sin, is a person who's not growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's true. And so we need to make sure that we recognize the intimate connection between those two things and understand where our help is going to come from. Gordon Fee wrote a commentary in the book of 1 Corinthians, and he says this about this passage we're looking at in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. He says, Paul's initial concern regarding the Corinthian church was an arrogant party spirit. The great issue for Paul is not the division itself. That is merely a symptom. The greater issue is the threat posed to the gospel, and along with that, to the nature of the church and its ministry. Thus, in a more profound way than is usually recognized, this opening issue is the most crucial factor in the letter. Not because the quarrels were the most significant error in the church, but because the nature of this particular strife had as its root cause their false theology, which had exchanged the theology of the cross for a false triumphalism that went beyond or excluded the cross. What he's getting at is they had once again moved into this arena where pride is reigning supreme. It was about who was the best. It was about the one who had the best pedigree. It was about the one who could somehow associate themselves to someone else's glory and receive some of their glory. People do that all the time in celebrity worship. We want to celebrate who it is that we, that we get to meet because we want to kind of bask in their glow. It's not always sinful because uh, they're individuals that we kind of respect and like, but too often that, that becomes a part of how a person lives their life. That's where they draw their self-esteem from. That's where they draw their value from. And so we need to make sure that, that we recognize here that when it comes to living the Christian life, it's about Christ. It's not about us. We, we can be very pleased and happy that God uses us in the lives of others to help them. But we know in the end, we're not looking for the pat on the back. We can be encouraged by others who might pat us on the back, but we know that where the real credit goes to is always to Christ. And so that's why Paul's bothered by all of this here. It's not that because they were, they were divided in these groups and claiming to have this following, because whatever the issue was, wasn't really the issue for Paul. It was the fact that they were doing that. What we needed to recognize then, again, uh, let me read this. There's another commentary who said, commentator who said this. This divisiveness is based on their infantile status-seeking and preacher worship. And Paul attacks this head-on. Paul extols the glory of the cross as the wisdom and power of God. It was the power of the gospel which came to them through the foolish medium of preaching, and it, was, and it has made them what they are. If there is to be any boast, it should not be in themselves or their favorite preacher. It should be in the Lord by whose sovereign grace they were, they were in Christ. So division, division of any kind within Christianity, within the church, is contrary to the message of the gospel. Division is contrary to true maturity and spirituality. So again, we need to recognize that. Again, we're not saying that it's wrong for us to have, you know, people sometimes really get on churches because of various cliques. 
We need to be, we need to be careful with cliques. Uh, we need to make sure that we're not excluding anyone. But, you know, there are certain people that we hang out more with than others. There are certain that we get along better with than others. And that's okay. Nothing wrong with that. But we want to make sure that we're not choosing sides. We want to make sure that we're not excluding other people. We want to make sure that we're reaching out to others. We all, each one of us, we need to be aware of that. We need to be looking for those who don't have family. We need to be looking for those who don't have friends and bring them in and include them. And if, the, if whatever inside group you're with doesn't want to do that, you need to be away from that group and start your own new group with those that no one is paying attention to. That's what we need to do. In the past, when it comes to verse 2, where it reads this way, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are not able. For a long time I thought that what Paul was talking about here was going deeper uh, with, with them in the Word of God, that, that the milk was the gospel, and you know, they got that part, now he wants to get into theology and various things, and he just can't do it because of the sin in their life. But I don't think that's what's going on here. I think for Paul, the gospel of the crucified one, which is Jesus Christ, is both milk and the solid food. As milk, it is the good news of salvation. As solid food, it is understanding that the entire Christian life is predicated on the same reality. And those who have the Spirit should also understand the mystery of the gospel. Thus, the Corinthians then don't need a change of diet. They need a change of perspective. The fundamental contrast in Paul's mind is not between... uh, these two different diets that he has to offer, but between the true food of the gospel with which he has fed them, them, which is whether it's milk or meat, and the synthetic substitutes which the Corinthians have preferred. And again, what they have preferred is spiritual status based on association. That's what they preferred. Paul is not chastising the Corinthians because they are babes in the faith and because they had not progressed like they should. He chastises them because their attitudes were childish completely incompatible with the fact that they were people who had the Spirit of God. Because there's always going to be people in the church that are babes in Christ. There's always going to be those who become new believers who don't know much. There's always going to be that. So the problem isn't that some of these individuals are babes in Christ. The problem is, is again, their attitude. The problem is, is their behavior. You're, why are these individuals choosing to behave this way? Just like it would be embarrassing to any one of us. If we have a two-year-old and you're in a store, and your two-year-old throws a temper tantrum, that's kind of expected because two-year-olds do that. Where would you go to hide if you're in the mall and your 16-year-old throws a temper tantrum? I think it's just, I'm going home. Just leave them. You know, (laughs) they need to walk home. I mean, that that would be embarrassing. Or even more embarrassing, if an individual is an adult, whether, let's say it's your friend, and all of a sudden you see your friend in some situation just throwing a temper tantrum and then pouting. It's a little embarrassing when that takes place. The Corinthians were involved in a lot of unchristian behavior, and in a sense they are very unspiritual. But it's not because they lack the Holy Spirit. It's because they are thinking and living just like those who don't have the Holy Spirit are living. Again, claims to be Christ-like cannot be sustained among those whose desire for status and self-esteem leads them to rivalries. Because again, Paul says, there are envy, strife, and divisions among you. Where envy and strife are in evidence, Paul is reluctant to use the word spiritual. He does not deny that committed Christians may behave in infantile ways, but this is what we need to remember. Number one, the church is a school for sinners. It's not a museum for saints. 
So again, we're all here living and learning, growing together. And we're, we're going to make mistakes and we're going to blow it even in front of each other. And we need to continue to pray for each other, encourage each other, and help each other. This isn't a place for us just to come and try to put on your best face all the time. All right, we need to be living real life with each other. That's why it's so important for us to continue our relationships, not just in these walls on Sunday morning, but to see each other during the week and to meet up with each other, to encourage each other, to pray for each other, and to see how we behave in other places. Not because we're spying on each other, but so that we really know each other, so we know how we act. That's important. Christians whose decisions and behavior seem unchanged by God's Spirit, if they're really believers, well, they're remaining infants in Christ. They're immature. And our goal is to mature together. In the same way that it is with every single parent, every single parent, when you have a child, you want your child to grow. You want them to grow physically. You want them to grow intellectually. And I trust as believers, you want them to grow spiritually. That's automatic. We want to see that take place. If that's not taking place, something is wrong. If their physical growth is stunted, we want to see a doctor. If their intellectual growth is stunted, we want to figure out what's going on. Too often, though, we just avoid or ignore the spiritual stuntedness. And we need to get back and begin to demand more of each other and of our own children. And desire to see individuals grow. And realize that it is, in this instance, we would say it this way. It is a matter of choice. Who are you choosing to be like? Are you choosing to be like Christ or are you trying to find your status relative to someone else's status or someone else's glory? Are you seeking to be divided among each other for whatever the reason or are you seeking to live as a united family because of our belief and faith in Christ? Because remember that the message that all of us who are believers here have received is the message from heaven itself. It is the gospel. And as you and I have believed the gospel, we know that each one of us possesses the spirit of God who lives in us who seeks to help us to grow and to mature us. And that when we as believers, when our growth becomes stunted, when we are not growing, when we are not living as we ought to be living, it's not because we lack the Spirit. It's because we are choosing to remain immature. And we understand foundationally where the problem is. And that is why we need to make sure that we engage in prayer for each other, for each other's adults, for our children, for each other's children. When you, see someone, when you see another adult or you see someone's child not acting as they should, that then should give us one more thing to begin to pray for. Whether it's you pray for that day or pray for that week, we need to do that. We need to trust in what God is willing to do as he interferes and intervenes in our lives and desire that and hunger for that. And prayer is the means that God desires to use to make those things happen. And I trust that you will begin to engage in meaningful prayer more and more each day and each week as we become more involved in each other's lives. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you again for your grace and your kindness and your love. And Father, we pray that you would forgive us for the times that maybe we didn't mean any harm. Maybe we didn't mean to engage in anti-Christian rhetoric. And we told others to believe in themselves. We told others to be true to themselves. Father, when we think about it in light of your word, it just seems so foolish. We can't even imagine that we actually thought that, much less said it for a moment. But we did. We're so grateful, Father, you don't hold that over our head. We're thankful, Lord, that you have forgiven us of all of our unrighteousness. Even the slip of the tongue, you've forgiven us. Pray, Lord, though, that you would help us to be in tune with your word. 
I pray, Lord, that you would help us to have a very strong desire to want to live out your word each and every day. Help us, Father, as we pray for ourselves and pray for others, that we would be seeking to apply the word of God, that we would be seeking to make use of the spirit of God that indwells each one of us. Father, that we would not be acting and behaving like this immature church that Paul is writing to, but, Lord, that we would be mature, that we would be used by God in many powerful and wonderful ways in the lives of others, that the world around us, though they won't understand it, yet they'll still see the gospel of Christ in action. They'll see that we are the hands and the feet, that we have the heart of Christ. Perhaps, Lord, you would use this in their lives to move them to have a, a hunger or a desire to want to know what is it that fuels the way we live. And give us opportunity, Father, to be able to share the gospel of Christ with them. As always, Father, we are grateful, Lord, for your word. We pray that you would deeply impress these things into our hearts and minds. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.